0: I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. That's all the way in the front of the book. That's how I found it. Genesis chapter 16. Uh, we're going to actually be looking at 12 through 17, um, but this is the anchor for the passage. And uh, So let me read this to you, all of chapter, one, uh, chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, his wife, why Abram's wife took Hagar the Egyptian her servant and gave her to Abram her husband as a wife and he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress and Sarai said to Abram may the wrong done to me be on you I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived she looked on me with contempt May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand again." Against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Laha Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Word of the Lord. 1994, a man named Jeff Bezos thought he had missed out on the internet boom and wanted to find a niche that he could occupy and figured that he could do that by looking at retail on the internet. It wasn't a really big thing then, but he thought this was a coming thing. People would buy and sell things on the internet. So he looked at a number of things he could do, decided books was the answer, started selling books out of his garage. And his whole deal was, I can get you any book you want within 2 days. Now he didn't have a long list of books in his garage, but whatever he had in his book in his garage, he would get you in 2 days. So decided to call his company Amazon. And the whole deal with with Bezos was He knew that people don't like to wait. He knew what kind of culture we were in. I mean, that's what we live in. We live in a culture where nobody wants to wait. Everything is right now. We have fast food. We have an app on our phone that if you want to order a coffee from Starbucks, you can spec it out on the phone, pay for it on the phone. When you get to Starbucks, you don't have to wait. You just go in, they hand you the coffee. You don't even have to wait to pay for the coffee. You just walk out sipping your coffee. We have next day shipping. We have live streaming video. You can watch it right now. And I know some of you are familiar with this because I've talked to you and I've done it myself. Anybody ever indulge in binge watching a TV series? I don't even want to wait for next week for the next episode. I want to see all 20 of them right now. I'm going to watch it today because I can't wait for 20 weeks to see how this ends. It seems like We have an entire generation of people that have lost the art of waiting. And we all get it. We don't like to wait. We're impatient. So maybe, maybe that will give us a little bit of understanding for the two key players in our passage today. We look at them while they... Wait on God, man, you know, they do a decent job of it, but maybe not so decent. So the passage provides us with a, a profound lesson, it's very simple. Waiting on God is always good, not waiting on God can be very, very bad, and we're going to see how bad it can be. Waiting on God is always good, not waiting on God is always can be very, very bad. And we're going to see how bad it was for Abram and Sarai this morning, and then we'll see what it means to us today. So in the passage that Elder Ashby read a little bit earlier, uh, he talked about Abram. We met Abram. He's 75 years old. He receives a call from God. Now, who is Abram? Who is this guy? Uh, He lives in a land called Haran. Uh, It's it's north of Israel, basically about the area that we would know of, southeastern Turkey, right north of Syria and all that. But uh, he, he's kind of distinguished in that. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the biblical narrative, we see Adam and Eve get ejected from the garden. They multiply and they begin to cover the earth. God looks at mankind and says, it's not good. I'm going to reboot. I'm going to start over. So he sends a flood. And uh, he preserves Noah and his family. Noah has three sons, Ham, Japheth, and Shem. And Abraham is a direct descendant of Shem. Now that sounds kind of distinguished, but he's five or six generations removed. And basically, Abraham's just another member of one-third of all humanity at the time. There's really nothing to distinguish him. He hasn't really accomplished too much. But the text doesn't tell us anything, but there, there's nothing to set him apart other than he's a guy who lives in a dark and dusty region, and God chooses him. God sets him apart and gives him these incredible promises. Now, the, the promises are framed with God calling Abram to do something very difficult, and we, we don't really relate to this all that well because of the culture we live in, But the culture that Abram lived in was one that was very much centered on life in the village that you grew up in, life in the tribe that you grew up in. Uh, Your family was everything. The honor of the family, the honor of the village was tied directly to what you did and how you did it. And you lived and died for the people that you grew up around. And you didn't really move around a whole lot. So before Abram hears the promises, what he hears from God is, I want you to leave all of your kindred. I want you to take your wife, Sarai, and, and leave everything behind. Your father, your mother, all of your kindred. Leave your village. And, and, and that, that's not enough right there. I want you to go to a land, and I'm not gonna tell you where it is. He says, I'll go, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. So you could see Abram has this encounter with God, He's not a young guy, he's 75 years old. He goes home to tell the family who gathers around, to tell the village, you're you're leaving? How can you leave us? We're your tribe, we're your village. God told me I had to go. Where does he want you to go, Abram? I don't know. What are you going to do? I really don't know. I'm going to start walking. (laughs) And when he tells me to stop, I guess I'll be where he wants me to be. So Abram has really taken a leap of faith here. He, he, he doesn't really know God. You know, uh, he is so indistinguishable. Catch this. Abram's not really a Jew. There aren't any Jews. There are no, there's no Hebrew nation. There is no Israel. Everything comes out of Abram. So Abram is literally leaving all he knows and all he identifies with behind to walk with God. But he's got these incredible promises here. Listen, He he's a good old land that I will show you. Where is that? We don't know where it is. Uh, He's going to be a great nation. He's going to be the father of multitudes. He's going to be a blessing to everyone on the earth. Those who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. He's going to be given the land of Canaan, which it, it he probably is familiar with. It's directly south of where he is. Everybody knows it's a rich and fertile land. There are natural resources there. There are places to grow crops. It's just a beautiful place. And Abram is going to be given Canaan. And not only that, there's this promise of offspring. Now, Abram's 75. Uh, Sarai is 65. Later on, we're going to find out that she's barren. She's unable to have children. And so he, he's married to this woman, and they, they've been married for who knows how long, probably somewhere around 50 years or so. They haven't had any children. Now Abraham has this promise of all these blessings and the promise of offspring. So incidentally, Sarai is not just barren, she's Beautiful. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, because as soon as I said it, we all got a picture of what she looked like, some kind of picture of what she looked like. They're not going to match up. But again, this is a cultural thing that we have to get our arms around here. Because as soon as we think beautiful, we think young. We think she looks like a movie star. But that's our culture. We put such a high value on being young-looking and taking care of ourselves and doing all these things to make us look younger and feel younger and so on and so forth. Abram and Sarai didn't live in that culture. They lived in a culture that valued age and wisdom. They lived in a culture that respected older people who weren't trying to be something that they weren't. So so Sarai was beautiful, but it wasn't one of these deals like, well, she's pretty good looking for 65, isn't she? It was people that looked at Sarai, saw a woman that had experience in life, had gained some wisdom. They saw Abram the same way and had a respect and a reverence for them. And it was okay to be older. It was okay. There was a beauty in aging. And so that's what we see in Sarai. Maybe a little bit of freedom there for us. Maybe not. So he receives these promises. His wife is barren, but beautiful enough to attract Kings, as you see later on in the narrative. And in, in Genesis 13, the promise is repeated again to, uh, to Abram. Only this time there's just a little bit more de- detail. Uh, he, he, when he left town, he really didn't conform to what God said. He took his wife, uh, but he was supposed to leave all his kindred, wasn't he? And he took Lot, his nephew. And, you know, that was a nice gesture, but as far as we can tell, God didn't tell him to take Lot. So it's kind of like the first decision that Abram makes, it's just a little bit questionable. Now, if you follow the narrative, he made a number of questionable decisions, but the first one was to take Lot. And if, again, following the narrative, you find out that nothing with Lot seems to work out real well. Uh, Every time you turn around, Lot's in trouble, he's creating trouble. Um, and, and you know there's a long story there we'll get to that in a few seconds but he's with Lot he's, Lot, he's with his wife, he's with Lot and in, in Genesis 13 uh, things have developed and he's become rich um, actually become rich through making a series of bad decisions but God has blessed him regardless and in Genesis 13 verse 14 through 16 it says this the Lord said to Abram After Lot had separated from him, Lot took the good land, left Abram with the hilly land. Lift up your eyes. Now, Abram is standing in the middle of Canaan. He's on a mountain. He can see a vast distance from where he is. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth your offspring also can be counted. Now again the offspring comes up but a lot of time has passed and a lot of things have happened and uh, Abram's life has begun changing pretty drastically now the, the promise has expanded. I'm going to give you all this land as far as you can see and you're going to have more offspring than you can possibly count but for everything that's happened, they have no offspring. There are no children. Now, in Genesis 14, Lot has gotten himself in trouble. Abram goes in and rescued him. And as a result of rescuing Lot, he gets rich beyond anybody's imagination. He meets a priest named Melchizedek. He's a priest and king of Salem. Um, This is significant because it'll pop up later on in in Hebrews. uh, But Salem will eventually become Jerusalem. So there's a symbolic figure of Christ in Abraham. Abraham gives him 10% of everything that happens. And in Genesis 15, God forms a covenant with Abraham. Now, just before the covenant, um, there are some important events. And I want to take a look at them, starting with Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, after the incident with Lot and the high priest and and everything, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now there's something really fantastic. Uh, I'm your shield. I'm the one who protects you. Your rewards are going to be great. But Abraham, who Abram, as, as he looks around him and he's got more riches than he ever could possibly communi- accumulate, says, oh Lord God, what will you give me? He's kind of saying, I've already got it all, for I continue childless. For everything I have, there are no children. You promised me children. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring." and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram says, okay, I hear you, and I see everything I have, but the promise was for children, and I don't have any. And right now, if anything happened to me, if anything happened while I was defending Lot and trying to rescue him, then this slave will inherit everything I have. What's going on, God? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, God is very explicit. You, Abram, are going to have a son, and he's going to be your heir. And he brought him outside. God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven, the number of the stars, If you're able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Now, Abram sees the stars, he hears it, I'm going to have a son, and he believes it. He believes it. In verse 6, it says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, God trusts that Abraham believed. We're going to find out in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham had faith. He has faith in God. But the question remains how much faith does he have and how much does he trust God? Abraham knows that God is going to do something. He knows that God is going to move in his life. And he knows that because God has already moved. He took him from this dusty place and he's made him a fabulously rich man. Now, Abraham's problem is he doesn't know how God's going to do it. He doesn't know. Now, I think we can relate to that, can't we? We all know God's sovereign. If you've been coming to this church for more than a couple of weeks, you've heard that phrase, God is sovereign. God is, has sovereign authority over all creation. God is sovereign. I know God's sovereign. I'm not so sure how his sovereignty is going to work out in my life. And sometimes that scares me. Sometimes that makes me a little apprehensive. I trust you, God, but please don't do this. <laughs> I, I, I'll do anything for you, God, except that over there. <laughs> you know, I trust you with my children, God, just don't hurt them. I trust you with my marriage, just, just fix it this way if you would, please. So we understand what Abram's going through. He trusts God, but he doesn't see the fulfillment of the promise. And at this point, well, it brings us to our passage today. They've been waiting nothing's happening. Their lives have changed. Their lives have improved. And in the passage today, Sarai develops a plan to help God out, to give Abram offspring. Now, they've been waiting 10 years, so we don't want to be too harsh with them. They've been waiting a long time, and they haven't seen this. In verse 3 of our passage today, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Well, that solved everything, and everything went just great after that. (laughs) No. Hagar becomes pregnant, and all of a sudden, she resents Sarai. There's friction there. There's friction in the family. The solution kind of worked the way that they wanted it to work, but... Nobody anticipated these problems. Sarai goes to Abram and goes, It's your fault. And you see Abram going, What just happened? Okay. Uh, yeah, now she kind of tempers it with, May the Lord judge between you and me. But she said, Look, she's mad at me. What's Abram do? He goes, Well, she's your slave. Do whatever you want. I'm not involved in this. You were the one who came up with the idea. Go, go do something. Okay, so Sarai begins giving Hagar a hard time, and Hagar realizes where this is going. It's not going in. Well, she runs. She runs. And a curious thing happens. The angel of the Lord shows up, this time not to Abram, but to Hagar. And Hagar receives a promise. It's incredible. And, And at first, it it looks like, well, okay, things seem to be working out. The angel of the Lord also said to her, verse 10, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Now that sounds like Abram's promise, doesn't it? He says, Abram, you're going to be the father of multitudes. And, and, now, and now Abram has a son. And Hagar hears, Well, you're going to be the the mother of multitudes. So it sounds like things are going together. It's an incredible promise. But where Abram is promised that his offspring are going to be a blessing, here's the rest of Hagar's promise. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The Lord heard you. And then the other boot falls. In verse 12, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, what that phrase means, I mean, we we get the first hint he'll be against everyone, everyone will be against him. He shall dwell in tension and conflict with his brothers. So there's the rest of the promise for Ishmael. Ishmael is going to be anything but a blessing. He's going to be fighting with his brothers perpetually. Well, Ishmael is born. It happens 11 years after Abram receives his promise. He's clearly not the fulfillment of the promise, not the way God promised it. What went wrong? What went wrong? What happened? Sarai's barren. Everybody's getting older. The only son there is Ishmael. What happened? Well, they got out ahead of God. They looked around them and said, It doesn't seem to be working. And, and you know, they did what we would do. They're, they're not bad people. They went, Well, nothing's happening. I thought we were going to have a child. And, and you know how the reasoning went? Maybe we're supposed to do something. Well, what can we do? You're barren. Well, maybe God wants us to do something else. I, I have an idea. Let's do this. Yes, that sounds good. Let's do that. And, and then if the children come, then the promise will be fulfilled. It all sounded good. But now we have this, this promise about Ishmael that he's going to be in conflict when the offspring are supposed to be a blessing they got out ahead of God. Look what happens next, and and we're going to move on to chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, 99 years old. Now, 13 more years have passed since Ishmael's been born, and we're talking about 24 years since Abram received the promise. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, what is this covenant? Well, that happened back in chapter 15. God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Now, when we hear covenant, all of us are thinking contract. Yeah, two parties agree. uh, They've negotiated some kind of of settlement that they're coming to. They both signed a contract. That's not what a covenant is. A covenant is made and initiated by the covenant maker. And it applies to the beneficiary of the covenant. But the beneficiary, the only thing the beneficiary has to do is decide whether or not they're going to walk in the covenant. So, Abram, God... Uh, directs Abram to do these sacrifices, uh, a variety of different animals. He lines them up in two rows, and as Abram goes into a deep sleep and sees a vision, uh, there's a smoking pot that, uh, that uh, runs between the two rows of, of animal carcasses and a flaming torch. Now, the smoking pot is a symbol of God's presence. The flaming torch is a symbol of God's spirit. So what God is saying, here's the covenant, Abram. Here's the promises I made to you. I will be the initiator of the covenant, and I will be the one who consummates the covenant as well. It's all dependent upon me. You're the beneficiary of the covenant, and I am the one who acts the covenant out. I'm going to bless you. Here's my promise to you, and as I establish this covenant to you, it's my guarantee to you that this is going to happen. This is the covenant they're talking about in chapter 17. So God says, I've given you my covenant. You shall be the father of multiple nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Now, we need to see what just happened. There was a change that occurred in Abram. There was a transformation that occurred. He was Abram. He was a a well-respected father. Uh, Abram translates to exalted father. But he becomes Abraham, the father of multitudes. God has been working in Abraham's life. He's been with him for 25 years. He drops in to remind him that he's there. He's been working in Abraham, changing his life, transforming him. And now he says, this is the moment, Abraham. This is the moment of transformation. This is the moment that you will see the covenant impact your life directly. You're going to begin to see the results of the promises. And it's not Abram alone. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, he says. Then in verse 6 to 17, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into the nations. The king shall come from you. And he also renames Sarai. Now, here, here's, here's a transformation. Sarai translates to contentious, quarrelsome, my ruler. He says, you're not going to be Sarah anymore. You're going to be Sarah. Check this out. Sarah means noble woman. Princess. They've both been changed. They've both been transformed by the presence of God. He's moved in their lives, and now they're going to start bearing fruit. And the promise is fleshed out completely in verse 16 of chapter 17. I will bless her, and moreover... Watch this. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Abram hears this. And he's sitting there, and it doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't make sense. We're 24 years in, Abram's 99, Sarai is 89. Abram fell on his face, verse 17, and laughed. God spoke, and Abram laughed. Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So Abram can't see how it's going to work. And he reminds God of how old he is. Reminds God of Sarah's situation. Now, Bless Abraham, he calls her Sarah. He recognizes that there, a change has occurred. But Abram does this job. You know, God, I hear you. I'm not sure you know all the details. Have we ever prayed one of those prayers where we need to make sure that God knows all the Lord, I want to pray uh, for my, my sister who's struggling, uh, and you know she's got this problem with gambling, and she spent $150 last week she didn't have. Lord, you know that, don't you? And, and, and we kind of feed God all the details so that he can make a wise decision on things. We have to make sure that he's filled in. And and so we we read something in the word and it applies to some area of our lives and we say to God, oh God, I know your word says that I'm supposed to do this, but you know my situation, don't you? If you don't, let me fill you in. Let me explain to you why your word's not going to work here. Let me explain to you uh, all of the details. Now, we have people in the Bible that that do this all the time. Moses. God calls Moses to lead his people out of the, the promised land. Uh, out of Egypt. And what does Moses do? Goes well, wait a minute, God. You don't understand. They want to kill me. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, Well, wait, 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 you don't understand. Uh, I'm not a very good speaker. Yeah, I know that. And, and, and Moses argues with God, trying to inform God with more of the details so that God can see the error of his ways. It's what Abram does. He laughs. He goes, don't you know I'm 99 years old? Don't you know that that Sarah is 89 years old. She is biologically incapable of producing children. You kind of did that. You should know that. How are you going to bring a baby out of her? So, Abraham comes up, and, and this is pretty astonishing, with yet another revision in how God can do this. He says in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, again, as we translate these phrases, it's like, God, do it through Ishmael. I I know, I hear the promise. I still trust you. I just don't see how you can do it through Sarah. So I'm asking you to do it through Hagar. I mean, you've already done it, God. It would be so easy for you. All the things are in place. The offspring's there. That's my son. You know that's my son. You said that the offspring would come through my son. Ishmael's my son. I love him. Let's use him. Because I'm too old and Sarah's too old. And I think what you're trying to do here is a little bit impossible, God. So let's use Ishmael. He's saying, I know you can get this done, God. I I just think you need some help with, with the logistics. Verse 19, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, check this out. As for Ishmael, he says, I heard you. I heard what you just asked. You're not going to like this, but I'm going to grant you your wish. He said, As for Ishmael, I heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. Now, You need to understand, God says, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'll multiply him. You want me to work through Ishmael? I'll do that. I'll do exactly what you asked me to do. But understand that Ishmael is under the conditions of the promises that I made to Hagar that he will be forever against his brothers. And all of a sudden, Abram realizes you've got to be really careful what you ask of God. Because he just may answer it the way you asked him. Abraham hasn't thought it through. He's asking God to fulfill the promise in Ishmael. And the promise in Ishmael is that he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Then in verse 21, God says, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Well, a year later, Isaac's born. Sarah's 90. They had to wait 20 years five years for the promise to be fulfilled they ran out of patience they took things into their own hands they thought God needed some help I, 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 I don't know that I blame them it's 25 years can, can you wait 25 years waiting on God is always good not waiting on God can be very, very bad. Let me, let me show you how bad it can be. Let me show you how bad it was for Abram and Sarai. Let me show you what this costs them. Here's the area, the map there is the area that Abram and Sarai settled in. That's Canaan, that will become Israel. At its current day, that's Israel. After Isaac's birth, Hagar and Ishmael settled in the south. And Ishmael's descendants spread out from there. In the land of Shur and Havilah. Now, scripture tells us that Israel and his offspring will be perpetually against his brothers. Now, the only brother he has is Isaac. (laughs) Okay? So, there's going to be this tension. Abram um, has 12 sons you know, there's all sorts of trouble with them. There's a famine in the land. They end up down in Egypt. Uh, God uh, blesses them in Egypt, and they begin to grow. They begin to multiply. They're in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, They become a vast nation. Uh, The promise is being fulfilled right there in Egypt, except they become a threat to Pharaoh and Pharaoh enslaves them and makes their life very hard. They cry out to God. God sends Moses. Moses delivers them from Egypt, sends them out of the land of Egypt and they settle back in Canaan, the land that Abram was promised. Okay? So, when they settle back in Canaan, look who they're hemmed in by. The Ishmaelites have now integrated with the people in those regions and they're living among Israel's most fearsome enemies and they're they're names you recognize if you look at the the Old Testament, the Amalekites, the Edomites, the Ammonites and the Moabites, by the way the Moabites are descendants of Lot, Lot makes a few mistakes, a few bad decisions. And the Moabites come out of Lot. And so the Moabites are now united with the Ishmaelites. And Israel is surrounded by people that are hostile to them. Now, that, that was about 3,000 years ago. Okay? Look at it today. Those countries that those, those tribes occupied are now Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria, Iraq. And, Iran, and they are still in tension with Israel. They're still in conflict with Israel. 4,000 years later, and the tension is still there. God promised that the Ishmaelites would be in perpetual tension against the descendants of Isaac, and there it is right there. So what happened? Well, you know, we talked about it. They lost their patience. They tried to improve on God's plan. They, they trusted God. I mean, he counted them as righteousness, but they, they didn't trust God totally, they, they, they decided they needed to get active. They had an expectation of how God would work in their lives. And when that expectation wasn't met, they took action. Have we ever done that? Do we have an expectation of how God would work in our lives? Do we sometimes make decisions that kind of foul things up? I do. That's what they did. They're normal people in that respect. The results of their, uh, their actions were disastrous. There were consequences for them. And the truth of the matter is that Abram could have walked in the fullness of God's blessing. But because he took things in his own hands, he had a lot of hardship. He had a lot of heartache. He had a lot of hard times. So the lesson could be just wait on God. And everything will be okay. Well, that's a good lesson. That's a good, okay, I've got an application point here. Let me just check this off. I learned that lesson. I'll wait on God. But there's another lesson in here that that goes a lot deeper. Because throughout this entire narrative, we see the incredible grace of God. I mean, look at it. Abraham does nothing right. Sarai doesn't do anything right. They trust God, but they don't trust him wholly. Can any of us relate to that? And God counts that trust they have of him as righteousness. Why? Because of that covenant. <laughs> the covenant that was formed between God and Abram was totally dependent upon God. He was the initiator and the consummator of the covenant. Abram was a recipient of God's grace. God made a promise to Abram, not based on how good Abram was going to be, not based on how well Abram performed after he received the promise, but based on the faithfulness of God. It wasn't based on the faithfulness of Abram. It was based on the faithfulness of God. And God's grace flowed to Abram regardless of what Abram did. Flash forward a couple thousand years. Flash forward to today. We're the recipients of the same type of grace. Jesus dies on the cross in forgiveness for our sins. And God promises us that if we believe in him if we trust in him just that little bit like Abraham did. Even though we may have some doubts. Even though we may not walk through it very well. If we trust in him just that much that he'll take us home forever. As Abraham descendants multiply and occupy Canaan so will we brothers and sisters multiply and occupy heaven because God is faithful even when we're not let's pray